there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Though we imagine otherwise, we don't remember ourselves. Hearing that we don't remember ourselves doesn't change it. We say, okay, I don't remember myself, but that doesn't change the fact that we don't remember ourselves. In fact, what it will do is it will start us into imagining that we remember ourselves because we say, I don't remember myself. Because the truth is, when you say, when you can actually genuinely, sincerely say, when you can see that you don't remember yourself, that's a slight moment of self-remembering. Because you're remembering that you're mechanical. You're remembering that you're asleep. And that in and of itself is a little bit of light. So you're a little more conscious. What are you conscious of? Well, you're conscious of the fact that you're unconscious. That's a start. And we have to start somewhere. We've got to see this for ourselves in ourselves. We love to see this for ourselves in other people. Yeah, they are really unconscious. Look at drivers. Aren't they unconscious? I mean, it's like, it's incredible. How can unconscious people talk on a cell phone, drive, drink a Starbucks, you know, and put the CD player in? They've only got two hands. Well, thank God for those new hands-free talk-on-the-phone things, because now we can put the CD in and drink Starbucks and drive with our knees. Can people do that and talk on the phone? And then we wonder, well, how is it that everybody's not dead on the planet? How is, how is it that they all don't run into each other? I mean, that's the amazing thing. It's like, how is it that there's any order at all in our complete, absolute, mindless, brainless sleep? Well, there is a divine order. That's how it is. We've got to see this in ourselves, for ourselves, through sincere self-observation. Well, Spensky said self-remembering means having an element of will control. It's an act of doing. But wait, I thought you said we can't do. Well, we can't do when we're asleep, that's for sure. <laughs> Mechanical doing isn't doing in the work sense. So in that sense, you cannot do. That does not mean you can't do mechanically. It doesn't mean you can't put your shoe on. It doesn't mean you can't get dressed. It doesn't mean you can't fix your meal. If you want to take everything that way, then you're just going to be in a tennis match with yourself for the rest of your life, batting it back and forth, which is all pride and vanity. One-upping yourself, one-upping the work. Which is absurd, but some people pass years doing that. Just one-upping or tearing down, same thing. One-upping is no more than tearing down. You have to tear down to one-up. He said, it's an act of doing. It's not dreaming of doing, but an action. At first it takes force because it's using something we're not accustomed to use. Later on it gives force. I like that because it really does lay out this path, this journey from sleep to awakening. But it just isn't, boom, night and day. It just doesn't turn the page and now you're awake. It's like a sunrise or a sunset. Light slowly dawns. It doesn't just snap on like, uh, what's that clapper thing for lights? It's not like that. It, it slowly comes up. More like a dimmer switch. If we knew how we behaved, we'd be appalled because it goes so hard against our darling self-portrait. Who would want to do that? Who really wishes to go against their darling self-portrait? We spend our entire lives slaving over this darling self-portrait, making ourselves look just right, getting rid of that mole. Oh, that's a little off. We'll get that just perfect there. And then shining this up and fixing that. And everything's different in our darling self-portrait. 
So who would wish to go hard against that when we put so much time and energy into creating that? In a sense, it's a lot like if you've ever watched the Buddhists make these big mandalas, huge sand mandalas. You ever seen that? They have these little tubes, like, and they put this different colored sand in, and they, oh, a bunch of them, they all work on this big mandala on the floor. And then they just tap these, and the grains of sand fall down, and they are in geometric shapes, just incredibly beautiful, complex geometric shapes. And then they finish it, and when they finish it, they take their hand and they sweep right across it, and they destroy it. And you think, oh my God, you idiots, why are you doing that? And that's why they're doing it. Because we've got to be removing our attachment and our identification from these things that we're doing. We've got to see the temporariness of all that we're doing. We've got to see that it's not going to last, that there's only one thing that's real, and that's real I and master. And we have to reach that, and we will not reach that as long as we're preserving these pictures that we make here. Because of our darling self-portrait, we continue to imagine we remember ourselves. One of the things about this darling self-portrait is we add to it all the time. Every day we add to it. It's not something that's ever done. It's, it's a work in progress. We're continually fixing it up, making it more and more unreal. Ospensky further said, Self-remembering is action because it is not only self-awareness, but is the capacity to do what you want to do. At first, on a small scale to control yourself in a fit of temper or to behave differently on some occasion when mechanically you would have behaved as you always do. On a small scale, you can see that this work is working for you. You have actually been able to stop yourself in a fit of anger. Not every time, but every once in a while. You've actually been able to behave in some other way. You've been able to, as it were, bite your tongue and behave in some other way than the way that you would normally mechanically ordinarily behave. And this is how this work moves forward. It walks on two legs. It doesn't fly in a jet plane. <laughs> it's not driving a race car or a speedboat. It walks on two legs. How long did it take people to walk from the East Coast to the West Coast? It took a long time, and a lot of them never made it. This work is like that. When I say this work, I mean this esoteric path. When I say this esoteric path, I mean this path that is hidden to casual observers, but will only reveal itself to those who truly, sincerely dig, who genuinely are willing to see themselves as what they are, what they have become, see what this self that has been acquired really is. Brush away the sand, the beautiful sand mandala that covers what we actually are. Brush away the darling self-portrait, smear away that paint, clean it off, and see what's really there through self-observation. Genuine, sincere self-observation. If you can't see yourself, all work on yourself is useless. What can you possibly do if you can't see what you're doing? Seeing is above everything. You must first begin to see. If you can't begin to see, anything that you do is pointless. It may happen, it may not. It may work, it may not. You wouldn't remove a splinter from your eye without a mirror. You'd want to see what you were doing because it's your eye. You know, there's a Hindu proverb that says, you remove a thorn with a thorn. So if you're going to remove that thorn or that splinter, you're going to do it with a thorn or with something sharp, something pointed. And you don't want to stick something else pointed in your eye unless you can see what you're doing. And so seeing is above everything. We must first see. If someone else points out our faults, our work often goes backwards. It's just the way we are. It shouldn't, but so what? I will not should on myself today, and I recommend that you don't either. It shouldn't make us go backwards, but it often does, far too often. Why? We get negative. Somebody else points out what's wrong with us. We get negative. We don't just say, oh, thank you. 
Why is that? Well, because we love ourselves more than we love this work. We love ourselves more than we love the truth. We love ourselves more than we love the person who's pointing it out to us. With enough love, if you valued the person enough, you could accept what they were saying if you valued them more than you value you. But you don't. But you can learn to by starting to brush away this darling self-portrait. Yourself. And you can start to see yourself in yourself as yourself. Then when other people say things, it's like, yeah, good point. But now, what do we say? Yeah, well, what about you? Well, you're not perfect, you know. We have all kinds of answers, don't we? Shut up! That's another good answer we have. I'll kill you is a good answer. Go to hell is a good answer. Or screw you is another good answer. We have all those answers, don't we? Now, of course, there are some people, like I won't mention any names, who (laughs) say it internally. They don't say it externally. They don't ever say the words. There are people like that who don't say it. Then there are other people who, if it went on internally, it's out of their mouth. (laughs) And they... They're just machines. They're just machines. And the other people are sweet, smiley machines. But inside, they're like sepulchers, you know. They're whitewashed on the outside, but inside they're full of corruption, filth, just like the rest of us. But they have this pretense of this startling self-portrait of, I wouldn't say it if I had a mouthful of it. And they wouldn't. And there are other people who, they got a mouthful of it, they want to share it with everybody. So they spit it all over. And whichever one you are, whichever side of the coin you're on, it's the same thing. You're dirty and you need to be cleaned. But until you can see the dirt, you're not going to get it off. And you're not going to see the dirt as long as you're painting over it with this darling self-portrait. We're so heavily guarded by our darling self-portrait, attitudes and buffers, that being told by another leads to bad feelings or violence. The best we can do for each other is to make room for the other to change. How? By becoming aware of our own unpleasant manifestations. The only way that you will ever be able to tolerate the unpleasant manifestations of someone else is if you can begin to see your own unpleasant manifestations and begin to make peace with them and yourself. That's the only way you'll ever tolerate another's. Sad but true. Sad because it makes things look hopeless. Because we know we're never going to look at our own unpleasant manifestations when there's so many others in the gallery we can look at. And every time we come to our darling self-portrait, it's just so glowing and gorgeous and wonderful and perfect compared to all of them. Because we can see what's wrong with them. That's obvious. Look at their warts. Look at their disfigurement. Look at their scars. Look at their pallor. Look at their disheveled state of being. While we're all neat and tidy and perfect. Well, and where we're not perfect, we're working on it anyway. We're certainly aware of it, and we're going to get that handled shortly, as soon as we get that big glump of whatever that is off of your face. Then we'll get to ours, because we only have these little minor imperfections compared to your gross, you know, this triage for us. Triage. You know, we better take care of them. They're dying. We're okay. We're the doctors, see. <laughs> we're the doctors. We're the psychiatrists. We're the physicians. You know, we're going to help all of them. Because they're really in bad shape. But our darling self-portrait makes us a physician, a doctor. Physician, heal thyself. How will we do that? How will we begin to become aware of our own unpleasant manifestations? By observing ourselves in the light of esoteric teachings. You have to become a spy. This is covert work. You cannot do this overtly. This is covert espionage. You must become a spy. You must spy on yourself. Because yourself does not want to be seen. It has secrets. When I say yourself, I mean this acquired self, this false personality, this thing into which our feeling of I, our sense of self, our sense of I has been sucked and encaged, imprisoned. Our feeling of I is in this thing that is not really I. But we don't know that. We only have someone else's word for that, but we have to see that for ourselves. 
If you take someone else's word for it and you don't do anything else, you will never progress. You will never develop. You will never get out of this prison. Spy on yourself. It's like being a double agent. Maurice Nicole said, observing I is a spy. What good is the information the spy brings us if we refuse it? What good is the intelligence you get if you don't believe it? And see, if your spy brings to you something that goes against your darling self-portrait and you choose your darling self-portrait over the intelligence that the spy has brought you, what good is it? It's no good at all. You may as well not have a spy. So if observing I is your spy, then you've got to learn to listen to what it says. Something's got to give. It's going to be our darling self-portrait or these esoteric ideas are wrong so that we can remain the same. There's no question about the fact that you have made esoteric ideas wrong on any number of occasions. It's called objecting. We object. Instantaneously, we hear something, we object. That crap. What a bunch of crap. That's bull. Have you ever heard yourself say that? In whatever language you speak, have you ever heard yourself say that? Good. Then the spy has seen that much anyhow. And we can believe that report, can't we? But the only reason that we make esoteric ideas wrong is so that we can stay the same. If we won't acknowledge what we observe, we cut ourselves off from help from higher and entangle ourselves in negativity. Negativity does us no good in and of itself, but we can use it. Self-acknowledgement is inner sincerity, which of course is the opposite of self-justifying. Well, you're willing to acknowledge this about yourself instead of justify yourself in the face of the intelligence that the spy has brought you. You all look so serious. I wonder if you're tracking. You must be, or else you wouldn't look serious, I guess. But for me, it's kind of humorous. You know, I have this kind of like this, I have to, because it gets so serious and so heavy that if I don't get playful with it, I crash and burn. And every once in a while, I find that this thing that these words are coming out of, this mouth, this thing that these words are coming out of, every once in a while, it starts to identify with what it's hearing, what's coming out of its mouth. It starts to identify with it, and it starts to get heavy. And then, fortunately, it's like I get a rap on the head from something higher, and I remember to be playful. And I remember, hey, don't take it too seriously. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a free gift. It's flowing through you now. Don't get heavy about it. Don't slow it down. Don't ice it. Don't make it turn to slush and stop the flow. Don't block it. The thing about self-acknowledgement compared to self-justifying is that one opens and the other shuts. Self-acknowledgement opens. Self-justifying shuts. When people start to justify themselves, they have shut the door. When you start to justify yourself, you have shut the door. What have you shut the door for? Well, I've shut the door to that idiot who doesn't know a thing about me. No, 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 you haven't. What you've done is you've shut the door to higher centers so that you can't learn anything more about yourself. That's what you've really done. No, I haven't. Fine. Now that the door's shut, you can have it your way. I won't argue with you. Acquiescence is not self-acknowledgement. Beneath it lies self-justification, and it opens nothing, but rather shuts tighter, blocking help from above even more. You'll see people who go, oh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. They just acquiesce. You tell them something, they acquiesce. You tell them the truth about something, they acquiesce. Oh, yes, I see that. But inside, they're justifying themselves. That's not the same as self-acknowledgement. It's pretense, and it shuts tighter and seals the door. The worst lies are the ones we tell ourselves because they have to be told again and again because they can't stand alone and they can't stand alone because they're lies and they have to diminish because that is the nature of a lie. You must constantly feed it force in order to keep it going. But the truth is not like that. You can walk away from the truth for a million years and when you come back, it'll still be the truth. You walk away from a lie for even a few moments and when you come back, it will be diminished. So you will have to feed it. You will have to pump it up some more. You will have to 
put some more force into it. Because lies must pass away, and the truth cannot pass away. Because lies are temporal, and the truth is eternal. And temporal is what makes lies temporary. They're temporal, they're temporary. They cannot stand alone, because they're not real. Nicole said, An act of self-acknowledgement is very brief, just as is a moment of self-remembering. It has nothing to do with being negative. It's simply sudden insight, sudden surrender of the intractable self-will. It's a stepping off of false personality. Every once in a while, you get the gift. You get to step off of false personality. Every once in a while, it just happens. You've stepped off of false personality, and you have a moment of freedom. It doesn't last long. It's there, and it's gone. But it can be stored in work memory, and you can reach it again because you have reached it more than once. You have had it more than once. So that's proof that you can reach it again and again and again. And each time, you may be able to stay a little bit longer in it, and the quality of it may be a little bit brighter. And that's how we make progress. It's not self-will, but a brief flash of will from real I. Real I has no self-love. Therefore, it has no self-will. But instead, what does it have? Well, it has real will. Real I has real will. What is real will? We don't know. That's the truth. We don't know. We could say anything we want to say. But the truth is we don't know. And whatever we say, that won't be it. It's like the Tao. The Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. Higher centers are trying to reorder our screwed up connections all the time. We're always being bombarded with help from above, but we rarely get in a state where we can receive it. Well, why is that? Well, because we spend all of our time sleeping in the second state of consciousness. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? Let's put that in nuts and bolts of this world. It means we're identified with everything inside and outside. That's what it means. And identification is like crazy glue. Somebody just smeared all over your hands and everything you touch, except it's worse than that. It's smeared all over you and everything you look at, you, your eyeballs stick to. Everything you hear, your ears stick to. Everything you touch, you stick to. Everything you smell, you stick to. Everything you taste, you stick to. And everything you see inside and outside, you stick to. That's identification. That's what it means to be in the second state of consciousness. It means to be identified with everything so that you cannot possibly know who you actually are. Because remember, to be identified means to be identical with. You become identical with whatever it is that you're identified with. You lose your real self in that. You trade who you are for who you want to be. That's what identification is. It's you trading who you actually are, the magnificence, the splendor, the wonder of what you created to be. You trade that for some stupid trinket. Oh, I know I sound preachy. Let me relax here a little bit. (laughs) (sighs) Take a deep breath. Okay. What, was I identified there? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just so annoying every once in a while to realize our trinkets are just trinkets. I was like, why do I keep doing this? Because I'm a machine, man. That's why I keep doing this. I keep doing this because I'm mechanical. I'm not awake. I just automatically go right to identification again. But we can pull ourselves out of it. It is possible to pull ourselves out of it. You've just had a perfect example of it. Totally identified then. Whoa, wait a second. Snap out of it, boy. And you do. You literally snap out of it. You can't really crawl out of it. You've got to snap out of it. You'll never make your way out of it unless you snap out of it. It's got to be a decision. It's got to be an action. It's got to be an action of, oh, what? Self-remembering. It's a measure of will control, isn't it? You say stop, and you actually stop. You turn around. You reverse. You reverse your direction. Our machinery is clogged, dirty, rusty, and out of order. We keep adding to that with attitudes, negative emotions, old associations, and sleep rather than cleaning the machine. Well, my favorite job in the world is cleaning. Not. Some people like to clean. 
but mostly they like to clean other people's machines. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how much you like to clean other people's machines? And then really, with our darling self-portrait, there's really nothing wrong with ours. It doesn't really need to be cleaned. The little bit of dust on that is so easily taken away that it's... But the triage over here, this big mess that you've got, that we need to get that straightened out right now. That's how we do it. Our constant identification with all that happens within and without keeps us from remembering ourselves. If you ever want to know why you can't remember yourself, remember that. Our constant identification with everything inside and outside is why we can't remember ourselves. We don't learn, we pretend. We must first realize and then stop pretending because pretense makes things worse. It doesn't make anything better, although in the moment it looks like it's better. Whew, man, I escaped that by the skin of my teeth. I pretended to be something else. But you haven't escaped anything. You've just locked your prison door and added bars to the windows. Gradually we come to realize we are mechanical in our thoughts. We are mechanical in our feelings, and we are mechanical in our actions. Add to this sorry state our imagination that we can change our behavior whenever we want, and the lock clicks shut on our prison door with a very sound snap. And we're in. We're in the bag again. Realizing our mechanicalness is a form of self-remembering. Someone asked me recently about self-remembering, and I guess I've written three, four, five emails to him, and every time I explain, he's got another question, which is fine, because that's how it works. We peel the onion one layer at a time, and that's okay. I don't, I'm not complaining. I, I value the questions. I'm grateful for the questions, because it gives me an opportunity to examine my own self, my own walk, my own understanding, and to deepen it. There is no such thing as self-remembering like that. There is only our limited understanding of self-remembering, and we get that in pieces. We first see self-remembering in this way, and then after a while, and after we do that, we then get something else, and then light falls on some other area of self-remembering. We are like those blind men and the elephant. The one that has the tail says, oh yes, I know what this animal is, it's a rope, it's like a snake, it's a rope, because it's, it's, it's a snake, yes. And the other one has the trunk and he says it's something else, and the other one has a leg and he says it's a tree, and the other one has, you see how it goes? And we're like that, we, we feel some part of self-remembering, we think we know the whole thing, don't do that to yourself, just be patient. I know this about it right now, but I don't know what else there is. So don't go off blabbing about, oh, yes, this is self-remembering, that's self-remembering, because then when self-remembering comes along in another form, you miss it, because you already know what self-remembering is. So there's no room in you to find out anything else. Remember that knowing comes out of not knowing. Try to cultivate the state of not knowing. You'll also find that that helps you to separate from false personality because false personality loathes not knowing. It loathes it. It will make up anything to fill the space of not knowing. So there you go. You're killing two birds with one stone. Well, you're not killing them, but you may upset them to the point where they'll beat you to death. Or maybe you'll wound them or make them run in their holes for a little bit and then maybe you can do some work. New realization is indicative of new consciousness. That shows us how full of hot air we've been in the past. We've got to get ourselves into a better state of consciousness before we can get the help we need on a consistent basis. We need help, and we need that help on a consistent basis. It can't be as spotty as it is now. But in order for us to get that help on a consistent basis, see, as it is, we get hold of the rope or the string every now and again. But then we lose it. It's right there, but we lose sight of it. We lose track of it because we got carried away by something else. We saw some sparkly over there and we left this dull thread or this dull rope for the something sparkly. And then if we're fortunate, we come to ourselves in a moment of self-remembering and we get back to the thread and we start to look for it again. 
We leave. In other words, we stop identifying with the sparkly that we saw. We leave that. I was telling Connie this morning. that I said, you know, uh, people who woke up, one of the things they say is uh, money is like dirt on your hands. And she said, mm-hmm. And I thought, well, there's just something more sparkly. Money is like dirt on your hands. You got anything else? That's, that's it? You got anything else? You got anything that I can use? You got anything that's going to help me transform? Probably not. If that's your attitude, probably not. Realizing our own mechanicalness is where we have to start. Realizing our own likeness to a hot air balloon. It's very colorful and it floats high, but eventually it has to come down and it's nothing but hot air. And you got to keep turning on the hot air to keep it up there. That's what we're like. Just these big, bloated, colorful lies floating around slowly, getting nothing done with little or no control, but imagining that we have all the control in the world. Up in a hot air balloon, you're kind of stuck. All you've got is the control over that flame. You can put more hot air in and go up, or you can let the hot air out and go down. But otherwise, you're at the whim of whatever wind, whatever breeze blows. If that's the way you want to live your life, cool. Just keep your darling self-portrait intact. You'll end up wherever you end up. But if you'd like to get yourself into a better state of consciousness, then there are some things you can actually do. Small things, but things you can actually do. After we start remembering ourselves, we make a small temporary aim. Then we try to remember that aim while we're remembering ourselves. This exercise will control a little bit. You remember yourself? Good. Wonderful. Now, remember your aim. Oh, what was that aim? Oh, darn. What was that aim? Oh, oh. Then you find yourself out of self-remembering and into negativity because you can't remember your aim. But next time, maybe you'll remember it. Often, remembering our aim will help us remember ourselves, and it will give us force by drawing it out of a negative emotion. For us, where we get force is to draw it out of negative emotions. We're not going to get much force from above because we're not well-connected above. What we got trickles down, and then we waste it, squander it in negative emotions. So if we can draw some force out of negative emotions, we can have some force to do some work. And that's why this work says one of the first things you have to do is try not to express negative emotions. Stop squandering your force in negative emotions. Don't expect success each time you try. (laughs) You'll be disappointed. Our job is to not be disappointed with results. Anyone can be disappointed. A moron can be disappointed. A snail, a slug can be disappointed. It takes something else to not be disappointed when the results are disappointing. Don't get negative over this process or you'll make wrong connections with work efforts and that will result in hopelessness. See, there are some people, the more they do this work, the more hopeless they become because they're making wrong connections, because they're allowing themselves to be negative in it. That's not a good idea. Don't get negative over the process. It's just a process. You don't know where it's leading yet, but we do trust that there is greater mind and that we are being guided and that we will be led when the time comes and that we can remember ourselves because we have been able to do that and that when we remember ourselves, we put ourselves in a better state, in a state where we can receive help. Each time we get negative, we're feeding the negative part of the emotional center, which leads down to hell. If you haven't spent enough time in hell, at least you know the way. And obviously, we haven't spent enough time in hell. And fortunately, we know the way. We can get there with our eyes closed. We get there blindfolded. We get there deaf and dumb. It's just effortless for us. Nothing can grow in the negative part of the emotional center except negative emotions. We have a right to remember ourselves. It's a right that comes with creation. You have a right to remember yourselves. It is your right by creation. You were made to remember yourself. We have a right not to be negative. It's our right by creation. But we must awaken to the third state of consciousness where there is help. In the second state of consciousness, there isn't any help. We've actually got to get into the third state of consciousness before we can get any help. How do we get into the third state of consciousness? Well, every once in a while, in the beginning, it's a gift. 
You just are kicked into it. That's what I think. It's my way of looking at it. You're kicked into it by something higher. And you have that moment where you can value it and then seek it yourself. And then you're on the path. And if you're on the path, you can stay on the path. You don't have to go back. You can go back, but you don't have to go back. In the second state of consciousness, we're identified with everything and we are lost to our rights of creation. Get out of the second state of consciousness as often as possible. Stay out of it as long as you can. And when you find yourself in it again, when you find yourself identified, start to get negative and violent, let that be a red flag that you are in the second state of consciousness. Reverse yourself. Get out of it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.